Welcome to the Sports Tech Research Podcast. We connect research-driven professionals working within the sports technology ecosystem. This show is brought to you by STRN, Sports Tech Research Network. Your host for today is Christophe de May. So, hi everybody. Welcome again in the Sports Tech Research Podcast. Today, um, I'm speaking with Johan Wind. Uh, Johan is Head of Data Science and Performance at Vancouver Whitecaps Football Club and has been uh, active both in an academic environment as in Team USA. Hi, uh, Johan. How are you doing? Welcome in the show. Hi, Christoph. Thanks for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Thanks for your time. Uh, looking forward to this. And uh, as always, uh, the first question is, could you please introduce yourself and your background and your field of expertise? Yeah, for sure. On a, a personal note, I, I kind of grew up a bit of a citizen of the world. I was born in South Africa. I lived in New Zealand five years, did most of my school years in Canada, and, and I'm a citizen of all three countries still. Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout that time, I, I grew up playing basically all the sports you would probably expect in, in those countries. I played cricket in New Zealand. I played ice hockey in, in northern Alberta when I lived and moved here to Canada. And then in high school, tried every sport that I could get my hands on with <laughs> basketball and volleyball, badminton, some cross country. I loved doing basically all of them and I was elite at none of them. Uh, <laughs> but that love of sport also veered me into into my career path. I went into my undergraduate degree thinking, look, the academic talents and abilities that I had, I thought maybe business is a good idea. People seem to think that from a financial perspective, business is a, is a great path. And yet halfway through my first semester and found myself reading my exercise physiology textbook in my dorm room for fun. <laughs> So quickly veered and pivoted into exercise science for my undergrad degree. Didn't really know where that was going to take me, but mm-hmm. figured, look, I, I still love sport. I might as well learn all I can about it and, mm-hmm. and veer down that route. And fast forward, I, I did that bachelor's degree in exercise science, proceeded to get a master's degree in physical activity promotion and in family practice, and then a PhD through the experimental program here at, at UBC focused on injury prevention and, and workload management. Mm-hmm there. So the academic route never kind of stopped ever since the dorm room and mm. in my first semester. And and all the while, I kind of had this idea that I wanted to see this kind of academic and applied split rather than, than become a bit disconnected from the applied world. So mm. uh, during my undergrad, I, I interned as a strength coach every semester with our uni. Mm. Um, during my master's degree, I was a head strength coach at a local smaller college. I pitched and then taught my first college course, uh, a health and fitness course mm-hmm. that I was mm-hmm. excited to do. And then during my PhD, um, I was embedded for a couple of years with the Vancouver Whitecaps in a, in a sports science type role. And then during my third year of my PhD, I was working full time. I think, as you mentioned in the intro at the United States Olympic and, and Paralympic Committee as a data analyst. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole while in the academic realm, I tried to make sure I, I had my feet on the ground in an applied sense as well. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of led up to the, the current role. As I finished up the PhD, I was approached by uh, the director of performance strategy, research innovation. Um, with the Vancouver Whitecaps, Dr. Ben Sporer, who was also on my my PhD committee. And he asked me to come back to the Vancouver Whitecaps and and start up and lead the data science department um, mm-hmm. as they rework some things from their performance strategy and performance department. So yeah, since 2019, for the last two and a half years, I've helped to set up and, and build the data science department with the club with some really great colleagues and an organization I'm, I'm proud to be a part of. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. And yeah, as you can imagine, I also love the, the different angles that, you, that you're having. Uh, I mean, we got in touch because of the, the to tech or not to tech paper that you wrote, which I really uh, 
enjoyed reading. And so, yeah, in this podcast, as you know, we always try to speak with uh, people with a bit of a research mindset, but, but also are with two feet on the ground and in practice and slash or in, in business. And I think, yeah, you're, you're one of those. Yeah. So great uh, background. And maybe you could uh, explain to uh, the listeners and <laughs> to me here uh, chatting to you uh, a bit more about your um, research and innovation activities, of course. So the kind of projects you're involved in uh, within the team. I think it's really helpful when you talk about or even mention like research innovation, especially in a professional sport environment. Even before we jumped on and actually started the recording, you and I had a brief conversation where it's like, not all professional teams get to have the, the focus on research innovation mm -hmm. projects as a whole. And I think one of the big reasons is when you work in a professional sport environment, there's, depending on the sport you work in, there's a game every couple of days, there's a game every weekend. People have these deliverables week in, week out, day in, day out. It's hard to focus on things that have a, a longer term timeline on deliverables. In a professional sport environment, one of the things that I think we've invested in and done well as a club in a in a mandate in our performance strategy we have two streams one is the daily training environment the day-to-day -day deliverables that have to be there and then there's the research innovation stream and i think before we talk about specific projects in in r and i we have to say that those i don't think can exist if you don't nail the daily training environment stuff well so especially as a as a data science department we need to make sure that the practitioners we work with each day, whether that be in scouting and recruitment, on the executive team, on the performance physical preparation team, on the sports medicine staff, or the technical coaching staff, it's our job to make sure that we put into place the decision support systems. Yeah, recently there's been another couple of great papers by Chavi Schelling and Sam Robertson, who you've had on around that decision support system framework, how you develop those, how you evaluate those. It's our job to essentially build those around each of the key daily training environment questions for the practitioners that we're ultimately serving. Once those are in place, and I think that takes time as a, as a sporting organization, once they're in place, they're stable, people feel like they have the information they need to make informed decisions, mm -hmm. then you can start allocating more resources over to research and innovation. And I think it's really good from a relationship standpoint within an organization to make sure that you're helping people on the days that they need and on the hours that they need to make their decisions versus live off in kind of this pie in the sky world over here and say, don't worry, it'll benefit the organization in five years. Like that, that doesn't work mm -hmm. very well, I don't think. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing that that approach does is being in the daily training environment, working with the practitioners means you're getting questions and finding out from them, like, this is really helpful, but if we had X, that would actually be a game changer. Yeah. So your, your research innovation strategies then can come back to answer questions that are actually being asked by the practitioners in the field. Yeah. That's something that as a club, I think we've, we've established pretty well in the last couple of years. And, and I'm really excited to kind of see continue growing and developing. Yeah. So that isn't the exact answer to the question, yeah. but it's the starting oh, point of like... I love the, uh, I would say, distinction or you could say a priority level, uh, like yeah. having, having the basics in place. And of course, that... There should be a definition, of course, like what is that exactly uh, within the current environment. But uh, I think everybody here listening can can understand like systems being in, uh, in place and and end users happy with the insights that they get <laughs> in the end. I mean, uh, that's a bit <laughs> a very, very short summary of what we actually mean with that. Um, 
And then I like the approach, like, okay, on the basis of that, it's a bit like in a, in a startup, I think uh, you try to create that MVP and then interact with end users. And based on their feedback, you're going to develop new features and so on. And in the environment that you are working in, that's then that feedback, the end users are the, the players and, and the coaching staff and so on, uh, giving you those, uh, those uh, questions. And No, I definitely think those, those relationships, whether it be in a startup life or in a a pro sport life are, are integral to seeing these things succeed. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think I can actually answer what areas we're working on without first setting the landscape to say without this, we wouldn't have any or they might be the wrong ones. So maybe side question uh, related to the research and innovation aspect, like how do you decide things that you uh, start doing internally versus uh, trying to get that research done by other entities, or maybe there is some research already out there and how to interact then with those institutions and people that are doing that type of research. Or how how are those decisions being made? Yeah, so we at the club right now, again, led by Dr. Spore on the, the performance strategy perspective as, a, as an organization, as you know, when you're working in a sporting environment, there are a a thousand questions that you could ask and want answered and think would be valuable. So we kind of have this this triage committee-based system where we kind of have representatives from our physical preparation team, our sports medicine team, um, from the technical coaching side, from scouting and recruitment, and people come together in a room to say, okay, what are, and this might happen two, three times a year, basically, mm -hmm. to start working through these and saying, okay, these are the things that have come up a few times to say, this is question A, question B, question C. And then once we kind of have a list and a good feel for things that we think would be valuable, it's kind of this series of upvotes in the room mm -hmm. being like, yeah, yeah, no, we would all benefit from this. We kind of create that priority list. And then it it comes down to the, the implementation of, of answering that question. Mm -hmm. So to do question A, like what is the time and resource investment that we think it would take to do question A? Mm -hmm. If it's a one week turnaround with data we have internally, that's likely just going to be one member of our great data science team just having a discussion and we'll say, look, can we tackle this? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a six month project mm -hmm. that's like doing some really sophisticated tracking data modeling or whatever. And it's like, okay, we need to find another way to tackle this project. Mm -hmm. And and that's going to be a, what is this going to cost? What's the timeline we need to turn it around in? And and then we we look to allocate that effectively mm -hmm. there. But that's usually done by committee and, and ultimately led by, by Ben to, to make the decisions of where we should go. Yeah, interesting. And another question in this context is, is then, given the fact that developments, innovations, what other research institutions, the startup world and, and the bigger companies are doing, given all of that is going so fast, how do you keep track of what is doing because you could imagine a situation where you then decide to go for it internally but then at a certain moment there is a paper or, or another project that you are aware of and yeah maybe at a certain moment then that changes into what the hell are we doing i mean it's already done by <laughs> these or these and how do you what's your experience it's not on that that kind of early question list but it's no. a very pertinent <laughs> one for us even right now so i think we've spoken a couple months ago about the to tech or not to tech paper and how we worked through mm -hmm. that so at that time um, we were in the midst of kind of finishing up an internal validation project using player maker um, with our academy it's a system that we're really happy to be working with we we enjoy the people at the the organization but at the time when we were talking with player maker early on they they had i believe 
a few white papers internally and one peer-reviewed publication that looked at some of the validity-related evidence to does this track with another measure of, of total distance, for example. I can't remember exactly, but there were a lot of those validity-related, reliability-related questions that we wanted to know before we say we're going to launch this across five academy mm-hmm. teams. And there wasn't external evidence for it. So then we went with Blair Mick, we had a great discussion to say, look, we think this could pay dividends, but we don't know whether we can trust the information. Can we work with you and we'll do a trial, we'll work on this and we'll run through a bunch of processes internally. So we trialed it for six weeks. We launched it with one Academy team. We had the data science team out on the pitch every day for two or three weeks running submax heart rate tests and set courses. Um, and we ran our own test retest day-to-day reliability pieces. We compared it to the Catapult GPS devices that we were wearing. We wanted to know, like, how is this going to relate and compare? Now, the funny part of why that is now ironic, given your question, in the time since we've done that project, we've launched our own internal white paper saying, here's where this lies. Mm-hmm. Here's the caveats and things that we need to be aware of. Uh, but this is why we made this decision to move forward with it. They've now, I think, published probably three papers <laughs> looking at different yeah. validity-related pieces with their devices, and I, I'm guessing more yeah. are coming. Yeah. So if we had waited six months, we wouldn't have had to do that internal yeah. pilot because <laughs> yeah. I think that wouldn't be an uncommon experience. Like with research innovation, we, we kind of have a two-pronged approach, and one is taking a critical look at the early stages before we adopt a technology, which I think some people don't necessarily emphasize a lot. Like, can we, if there's not evidence of something being valid and reliable to the degree that we're comfortable with, like, we need to try and look into that ourselves before we adopt it. And then once we have the technology integrated, then it's, I guess, the more fun forward-looking stuff of like, okay, given what this technology provides, what could be the kind of questions we could answer in, in two or three years, given where the fields are moving. But yeah, it's... It's, it's incredibly fast moving, and especially on some of the, the early validity reliability ones. If, if you do it internally, it's, it's very likely that someone's going to also be doing that somewhere, and you'll see the evidence come. I guess the last thing I'd, I'd say on that, though, is I, I still, with the player maker example, don't view that being a, like a disappointment, a lost exercise or anything. I think as a team, like we learn the standards and the thresholds that we're comfortable with. It's done in our setting. It's, it's a real hands-on experience with a, with a product mm-hmm. that helps make an informed decision, I think, a little bit closer to home than if you just have peer-reviewed evidence somewhere else. Um, so that's nice. I think you gain trust and relationship with other people in the organization when they see you go through those lengths. It's like, oh, okay, they took a really deliberate decision to do this. Mm-hmm. It's not just, oh, look, we have budget. Well, it's by tech. Yeah. Maybe final question related to this topic and, and the example you gave. Does that change the relationship you have with the company, in this case, PlayerMaker? I'd, I'd say two things. One, we're far more likely to work with companies when they have more of a collaborative relationship-based approach mm-hmm. than a transactional approach. Mm-hmm. There are certain instances where it's like, okay, you have product A, we need product A, here's the money, thank you for the product. Like we work with Microsoft in that way to launch our, our online portal. Like we just, we transact with Microsoft. But when it comes to a lot of this tech, we're, we're more likely to work with companies like PlayerMaker in this example, because we can have that relationship. And then I do think, and you'd have to talk to someone like Steve Barrett to really know how, how the company feels about us from our conversations with them and, and others companies appreciate it because it also turns mm-hmm. into a mutually beneficial relationship where we can say, this is what we've done internally. This is how we're using it. What we feel is lacking or what we feel could be 
maybe better is if you work on A, B, and C. And they they come back and say, that was really helpful. We're going to go back to the dev team and we're going to iterate on it. And it almost becomes like your partners on a startup for some examples, rather than more of a transactional. And I think in the tech space where things move so fast and a lot of these things are still newer onto the market, I think the the benefits from those relationships, they have a huge, huge upside. So where we have found companies with like mindsets, I think that's almost always been a really beneficial um, working relationship. Mm, cool. Yeah, of course, you, I can imagine you're working on a variety of, uh, of topics and, and parameters and insights and have an even high amount of, of, of internal, uh, internal projects. In the end, of course, I think in elite sports, it's or it's about injury prevention and keeping players healthy, safe, or or it's about strength and conditioning, or it's about tactical stuff. I mean, performance-related uh, issues. So, could you elaborate a little bit based on your experience, like with the projects you're running on the research and innovation level? What are the the effects? What are the benefits that you are trying to accomplish? That are the results of those project and how detailed are they because yeah in our conversations we, we for example just talked uh, before the recording about sleep for example and you go really deep in in sleep so maybe at a certain moment uh, it's not something to do internally to really <laughs> go that detailed in, in in the topic yeah so actually a twofold question like what are the types of effects and benefits you're trying to create and then what's the level of detail those are those are exciting questions, and they're always always like really enjoyable to think about and work through. I, I'll mention a couple just as examples for for talking points. There's always going to be several of these in the hopper and things that you're working on and at different levels of the pipeline. But in pro and elite sport, you do see a lot of work dedicated to let's say injury prevention as an example, or in kind of tactical approaches over here, recovery and stress. I think where we try and move toward is trying to integrate and link those separate questions together. Um, and I think technology and data is at a point where we're seeing that more and more. So one of the things that we're looking to continually drive further along is integrating the physical outputs of our athletes within the different tactical moments. Mm-hmm. You can think of football decoded by Paul Bradley and more of the work that's coming out in that space. That's also informing how we think. So it's less about like how much high speed distance does X player cover, but when do they do that in what moments? And then I think the really exciting one is, is okay, not just when, in what moment does this high-speed run occur, like, oh, this happens in transition, but now we're at a point where you're starting to see, like, tracking data enables us to not just answer the moment and the speed, but is this run beneficial to the team in terms of the outcome we're trying to achieve? And you layer on those physical outputs with an expected possession value metric, and then you're actually answering not just, like, who runs the most, who runs the most when, but who runs most effectively. And there's the the great Sloan paper, and I think there's a couple other pieces that have worked on that from from Luke Bourne, Javier Fernandez, where you you have that wide open spaces idea where it's the line that came out of that was like Messi walks more efficiently than a lot of players run. He uses his physical output in a way that benefits the team. And I think for us, that's a that's a big kind of rallying cry for us is like, can we start and move toward the integration of these things? So that's that's one example. And I think to kind of carry on that to your other questions, like if you're able to do those and model those well, like most research innovation projects, I think what has higher dividends is if then the spinoffs from answering it well are several fold rather than a a very detailed single question. So let's say 
we have the perfect expected possession value model with error-free tracking data and physical outputs are perfectly dialed and everything's done and, and there's no issues with it. If, if you have that, and let's say you had that across the team, that can inform your athlete and player development in terms of helping to educate and train your academy players on when and how and the features of off-ball runs that are affected in this example from, from wide open spaces. It can link to your first team technical coaching staff saying, how might we exploit the other team either on the attacking side of the ball or do we acknowledge how they often utilize space, right? Um, scouting and recruitment, if you have access to that data and tracking data from around, there's now more and more broadcast tracking data providers, mm -hmm. the, the sport logics or skill corners of the world, that if you have access to that, not only are you looking at event-based data again, but if that model is built internally and you're really happy with it, then you can go and say, okay, how does X player playing in Colombia or Argentina or wherever? Yeah. And also thinking in, let's say, the whole open innovation concept, also in the relation between you and your and the team and research innovation that's happening there in relation to the company. I can also imagine at a certain moment internal developments being done within uh, the team. And so the, I would say the algorithms or the intelligence that you're trying to develop is of interest to the company. Do you also have experience in that type of situations and, and discussions? Because then there is an opportunity, of course, for the company to yeah, to license in, I would say, uh, insights from, from, from the team. Or how do you deal then with IP issues and, and, and so on? Those, those are fascinating discussions that, that you definitely have in this realm. And I think clubs in a similar position to ours are trying to, uh, with a lot of these providers, as as you know, we don't love to rely heavily or solely on what the company provides. We want to be able to build our own things that yeah. we can work from internally. And like you said, if you do that, you pull the data out, you start modeling, there are those discussion points where you're, you're like, okay, well, this is how we're using it. And then it's a discussion of like, that would be really beneficial. And I think in the situations where those ones arise, I think that it's always going to depend. And that ultimately for us, it usually looks like a senior leadership person at the organization saying, okay, we've developed this. Do we consider this a legitimate competitive advantage within our competition? If we release this to the league as a whole, we lose an advantage that actually decreases the likelihood that we make the playoffs or win the, win the MLS cup. And if that's the case, then the discussion is, well, no, we're going to keep this in house. And, and we have that discussion with the companies early on, but at the same time, there's times where, Hey, we've developed a feature. We use it this way. And the company goes, well, that sounds like a great idea. We would love to deploy that. And if it's like, Hey, we email a personalized report out to our Academy players with the rest of the data de-anonymized or something like that. It's like, okay, there's no issues if a company also decides they want to do that. There's no competitive advantage. And then I think that just helps the relationship where the IP is like, yeah, we developed this idea, but go for it. We don't really talk here about the wall of universities. Is that because they are not really involved in your type of work and because they have smart people as you within the team and, and uh, you, 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 you get the time to also write some publications and, and I mean, which is typically being done, let's say, under the umbrella of, of university. So what about relationships with universities? I think the only reason we haven't brought it up uh, to the forefront is, is strictly we just haven't had enough time yet to get there. I, I love this discussion. I think even back to kind of my, my personal background of, hmm. of academic applied split, I think those two umbrellas hmm. really, really help to inform each other. That's a really mutually beneficial relationship. And I think as a club, 
like our training facility for the Vancouver Whitecaps is based on the campus mm-hmm. of the University of British Columbia. So Dr. Sporer is a is an adjunct professor with the university. I teach yeah. in the kinesiology department. We have an internship program that's well established with the kinesiology program at the university. So we'll often have people come and do internships. We partner now two consecutive years with the Masters of Data Science program on the university's campus, um, which is like an eight week, pretty intensive embedded internship Mm -hmm. with the club, which has been fantastic. And then just being housed on the campus just enables us to be in close proximity to leaders in these respective fields. So again, all of these are going to be context and project specific, but one of the things we're really fascinated in, in looking at is can we link and combine kind of subjective expertise mm-hmm. with more objective data points? And we won't have time to get into all the nitty gritty details of that, but there's a recent paper called, I think, Man and Machine. It was probably Sam Robertson again, <laughs> if, you're, if you're guessing, you can guess that, you're probably right half the time. So, but like combining both subjective expertise from people who know the sport with objective data, let's say a tracking or event-based data algorithm to say, okay, X players performing well, combining those two together is is more beneficial than using either one in isolation. Like a coach sees things that a, a model doesn't and a model is able to do things at scale and identify things that maybe the, the human eye doesn't necessarily catch. So we're, we're looking to do that, but then there's this entire field of trying to capture subjective expertise well. So the field of psychometrics is literally developed to try and do well. And and we're on a campus where I can go and talk to one of my PhD supervisors and say, look, this is what we're trying to do. How can we do it? If we talk about player development and skill acquisition, coaching is a really important part, but there's also Mm -hmm. people who have dedicated their lives to say, how do you develop a drill so that people maintain and develop that skill? So being housed on a university campus means that when the time is right to implement more in-depth discussions, whether it be education or consultancy or whatever, it just means we can do that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's such a, I would say, rich environment that you're in. And, and if you have the people with a bit the same mindset, creating win-win situations rather than being really restrictive and protective. Uh, I always ask a question in relation to how to implement the, the results then from, from the project. But, but, but let me switch a little bit the question in terms of to what extent are the players involved in what you are doing? There is often, let's say, uh, a gap also between those uh, different thinking worlds. So my question would be in terms of implementation, to what extent are players involved both from needs analysis all the way to, of course, the data analysis. Yeah, it's, of, course, of course, they are involved. But, you know, the question here relates more to how to bridge that gap in function of more, uh, more efficient implementation in the end. It's, it's a great question, and I think you have examples in a lot of different fields where having stakeholder engagement is, is key to seeing the success of a project long term, and I, mm-hmm. I think sport's obviously no different in that regard. I think where I pivot maybe a little bit on how I answer that question, we, we published an editorial in BJSM that was about where do data scientists mm-hmm. fit in an integrated support team, and we envision as a, as a data science department, we're not necessarily, like it's not scouting and recruitment, physical preparation, sports medicine, technical coaching staff, and, and data science beside that as another entity. We we view data science being the supportive environment that sits kind of underneath all the other departments and answer the questions that they have and inform the decisions they're making. And within that structure, there's also this kind of implied environment where almost every one of those departments has closer relationships with the athletes than we have directly. So 
I love the idea of making sure that we're athlete engaged, but I also acknowledge the relationships that our athletes within the club have with the practitioners they work with on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. are much stronger than the ones I have. And it's, it's almost by design that way. So the most common way for our athletes to be involved in kind of these research innovation or data science projects or the discussions they have with uh, John Poli, our head of physical preparation, or Chris Franks, our head therapist to say, like, these are the things I'm doing. And they can communicate, hey, we're doing these screens for these reasons. We're trying to understand these physical outputs. They'll be the ones to dictate what data goes back to the athletes and when and have those discussions. And we'll learn from the practitioners. So I say the athletes are, are definitely engaged, but through the yeah. people they have yeah, close yeah. relationships with. So you have that feedback loop, so to say, in terms of challenges all the way into solutions, but then also coming back to the athletes and, and communicating like, look, this is this is what we tested. These are the insights. This, this is what you could change. So 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 you have that uh, communication loop as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems Johan that that you are in uh, in an, a quite an advanced setting. I would say in terms in terms of how it is organized and how things are yeah are running all of these uh, activities. What are the challenges or the critical hurdles in your environment then in order to do even a better job? I think I'd probably speak with a, a lot of different organizations and, and say time's always going to be the the main rate limiting step. Um, and that's where we, we kind of talked about the partnerships with universities or mm-hmm. external collaborators that can come to the forefront and, and where those can really benefit us as, a, as an organization. And that's where external expertise comes in. It's just especially when you get to some of these research innovation fronts, if I speak back to the embedding physical output metrics with an expected possession value based on tracking data, et cetera, like that, that's not a very easy question to answer. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of technical expertise. So it's either going to take months of internal work, or it's going to take a little bit of partnership with maybe a master of data science capstone project, maybe an embedded graduate student. I think that's, that's the biggest one. The, the other one that I would comment on that I think we've done a, a pretty good job of at the club is usually the critical hurdle I'd say when you get into the data science realm is is a bit of reluctance or challenge in implementing things that are coming out of an analytic environment. Like if the new model hasn't been available to people up until yesterday, like why should I adopt X metric? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've never had X metric before and how can I trust this? And I think the way to get around and, and work through that is to have those discussions before. Like I, we try and not develop things on our own in a silo mm-hmm. and then introduce them to the group. And our goal, whatever that type of model or output is, is look, we have access to these types of data sources. What we hear you say your questions are, are these, we think that maybe we could develop something like this. Does that make sense? Would it help you? And what are the features you might want there? And then it becomes a bit of a co-creation even in that standpoint. So people are excited and looking forward to mm-hmm seeing a new dashboard or report or model being implemented rather than yeah. being kind of blindsided by the thing that has been developed in a back room somewhere. So Cool. Um, yeah, another, another topic we're dealing with with the podcast and, and, and the network is interactions with other, I would say, sectors. Of course, the most logic one is um, what we also talked about earlier is interactions with MedTech, HealthTech, uh, and so on. But Often, of course, sports is seen as yeah an ideal hub or an ideal topic with many more interactions and maybe even some analytical models which are used in biological research and animal research or whatever could be applied in, in, in a sports setting. 
do you have examples of those uh, from from the past, or do you see opportunities for the future when it comes to cross industry, multidisciplinary types of collaborations and, and interactions? Um, yeah, I think a lot of the the cross industry and multidisciplinary relationships. I think a lot of the examples we kind of mentioned, whether that be with university groups and, and academic environments with mm -hmm. us, particularly at, at UBC in the sport tech research field, we often have those relationships with companies. I think the thing that jumps to mind when you look at outside of sport, I think we learn and benefit a lot from those and then bring them in. If we go tracking data right now with what we have available football, we learn and are able to see what we get um, and what we can derive from tracking data. Also from what's been done from groups in the NBA and from basketball, what happens in the NFL Big Data Bowl every year with the thousands of applicants, seeing what they're doing with tracking data. But what they're doing with tracking data also doesn't originate in sport. They're taking principles, whether that be semantic, almost textual analysis, whether it be computer vision stuff, like all of those statistical and modeling techniques aren't actually from sport. They're from statistics, from computer science, from natural language processing from all of these fields. And you're also seeing in data science, people come into these roles from outside of sport industries. So yeah, I think the one that jumps out from outside the field is often those in a data science analytics realm, you're, you're really deploying things that have been developed and grown in realms outside of sport and trying to make that bridge in your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe final question from my side, and it, it, I can imagine you're also approached by a lot of companies and startups and also academics, let's say approaching the team with all kinds of offerings and questions. And, and I mean, how are you dealing with that? Uh, in terms of assessing quality, assessing the possible value that it could bring for the team, uh, if it fits in what's already happening. Do you have uh, uh, some kind of way, structured way in dealing with these questions or? Uh, I'd say it's a little bit less structured than like our internal research innovation. We have a committee, we have a group, we have the questions, mm -hmm. we triage, prioritize, and then delegate appropriately. But I think one of the things that, that Ben often says, I think that language has been adopted in the club is kind of this idea of net performance impact of X being implemented. And we use that every time that comes up internally, like, hey, this report or this dashboard would be really helpful. So, okay, what's the net performance impact of saying this report will take us 10 hours mm -hmm. if it's perfect and does exactly what you say, like what will change? Do we change? our practice design? Do we change our individual player development drills? Do we change our tactical approach in the game? Do we do nothing? It's just looks good. Like we need to know what will change and then what's the potential impact on the 90 minutes when we play on the weekend. So that same idea of net performance impact comes up when a student or a professor comes and says, we would love to understand like the psychological health of an athlete in the off season, which has never happened, but could happen. We just want to run, so, okay. What, what happens with the club? Like, how do we benefit all of our athletes get three surveys sent to them during the off season? In this hypothetical scenario, there are a whole bunch of probably a little bit upset athletes that are trying to enjoy their off season. So a student could get a master's project, but our players are not happy and don't get time off. So that would be an easy no for us. So is, is that net performance index? Is that, I don't know. I, I don't know what the metric actually means, but is it, is it something that is also being used in, in other Sectors, something that you guys came up with. Uh, it's it's the language I've heard Ben use for five five years. So 
I love the the meaning of it, let's say. Yeah. Cool. We said we're going to do 20, 25 minutes. <laughs> it has been a bit longer, but very interesting conversation. Did we miss anything? Did you, you want to add something? Obviously, when you said let's let's carve out some time to, to chat, it, it's a it's a nice experience to sit back and reflect on kind of where we're at, where we hope to be, the challenges and, and kind of the high points of along the way. And like I'd probably be wrong not to say I don't think any of this and I think hopefully this came out in the in the discussion, like none of this happens outside of, of a, a good team. And that comes from within our organization. Like I'm very thankful to be in a spot where our ownership and senior leadership have said, we want to invest into this type of approach, which we believe can pay dividends in the long term, and, and it can be hard to do that, I think, when week in and week out, the results might not always be where you want them to be. And the dividends of these types of projects might take long time to be realized. So I, I think to talk about research innovation in pro sport doesn't happen without the commitment of the club to want to move in that direction. So I, I think I'd have to highlight like none of the things I've mentioned would be here if, if the organization hadn't devoted and committed to it. And then I think going into the weeds as well, like it also wouldn't happen if it was only myself and interested in doing so, or Ben being like, here's where the performance strategy is. It, it's also the, mm -hmm. the culmination of everyone else on the, on the ground and, and mm -hmm. working day in, day out together. So all these pieces, we have a great data science team with, with Alexander Hinton, Quinn Thompson, Blake Perry. Ben's leadership as a performance department. We work with great practitioners in the physical preparation realm, the, the sports medicine, the technical coaching realm. So I'm not going to list and name everyone. But <laughs> all the stuff I mentioned, like, none of it happens without that engagement yeah, and relationship. Of so. Yeah, of course. We have the environments. There is the, the buy-in of the, of the management. Um, and, and in the end, it's teamwork. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Johan, for, uh, for this nice uh, chat. Uh, I want to end with the, a final Question. Always interested to hear, like, uh, from people who are, yeah, not only in academ academia, but have a bit of a research focused type of job. Um, do you have a, a certain scientist that you find really inspiring? And who is that? Or, and why is it? Yeah, Christoph, I, I love this question. I love hearing how people answer it when they, they jump on the podcast. So um, I was excited to see you didn't just leave it off on, on my question list. So um, yeah, for, for me, it's, a, it's an interesting one to think about. And I think as all of us could attest, like there's a lot of people whose work and the science that they produce inspires us. But for me, the question is, who is your most inspiring scientist? And for me, that's thinking a little bit maybe less about the work and more about the person. So mm -hmm. the people I know in science the most and understand who they are as a person are the people that have been closest to me. Uh, I think a lot of them have come up um, in the discussion, Dr. Ben Spohr on the psychometric side, Dr. Bruno Zumbo. But if I had to choose and answer this with a, a single person, my master's and PhD supervisor was Professor uh, Kareem Khan. So it's it's one of those, I could list the the work he's done, like the scientific director when he was at Aspatar at the Sports Medicine Hospital there, the editor-in-chief of British Journal of Sports Medicine, the Bruckner and Kahn Sports Medicine. Now he's a scientific director at one of the Canadian Institutes for Musculoskeletal Health. Um, like academically, he's done everything that you could desire to do, but that's not what jumps out. What jumps out is I think of all the people who I know in the field across multiple disciplines who have been his student and I experienced this, like you, you enter into a working relationship with him. He immediately gives you the freedom, autonomy and trust alongside of like, mm -hmm. how can I help you get to where you want to go? And 
Like there's so many people whose careers have been influenced by his leadership and mentorship that I think his stronger legacy is less in like this, the papers and the citations and the books yeah. and all this yeah. stuff. It's, yeah. In, yeah. it's in the people that have benefited from knowing him and, and I'm in that spot. So he's inspiring to me, not just from the work, but that legacy. And it's like one day if, if someone thinks about what I've done in a field in a small way, I hope they're more excited about the people that have come through and who I've worked together with and where they're at than necessarily like how many times to tech or not to tech has been cited though. I hope everyone reads it. it. It's, it's less important than the, the people and the, the journey along the way. So that'd be my answer. And I, I, I love what you just mentioned and then there's nothing to add from my side, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks uh, Johan again for a very nice uh, conversation. Yeah, to those listening, I hope you found it insightful as always. I think we touched upon a few new topics uh, that we didn't cover uh, before. Of course, we also, when publishing the podcast, we also refer to Johan's um, uh, LinkedIn profile, Johan, if that is the best one to, to reach out to, to you. So please do, if you have some uh, questions or uh, suggestions or whatever you think is valuable for Johan and, 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 and the team. And on the other hand, of course, always interesting to hear what kind of topics uh, we should really address and the type of people uh, we should speak with. And if you have specific names, of course, always open for those uh, suggestions as well. With this, uh, we're going to end, uh, end the podcast here. Thanks again, Johan. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye-bye. This was a Sports Tech Research Podcast. Podcast presented to you by STRN, an initiative of Ghent University. Did you like this episode? Make sure to check out our website, strn.co, and let's get in touch.